Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you like what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel, find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. And today uh, we're welcoming BC Sanders to the show. BC is a veteran gang unit officer and an author for Skillset Magazine. And uh, so before we get started, just so you're aware, you won't be seeing uh, BC here because he's still active in his career with the gangs and homicide uh, and stuff like that. So just as a precursor, uh, that's why. But uh, BC, it's great to have you here. Thank you for having me on, buddy. Uh, it's one of these things, too. I've, the guests, uh, the, the episode I've got coming up with Marcus Torgerson, uh, he's been on the show a bunch of times, uh, but I did something with him that episode where I didn't have any notes. We had we had an idea in our head. We talked before, hey, let's cover these topics. And I'm going to do the same thing today with BC, uh, just because, one, he's never been on the show, but I feel like with everything he's done or has continuously done throughout when I've got to know him, uh, whether it's different podcasts with Jason Piccolo, the protagonist antagonist show they got going down, his writing in Skillset Magazine, and his work in law enforcement, specifically gangs, I feel I could just kind of put this together off the cuff, real raw, refreshing. So again, BC, thanks for partaking in this. Yeah, and you left out the 80s movies uh, and 90s movies references. <laughs> yeah, so for sure. I mean, we'll definitely be talking Chad O'Brien, uh, Tiger Claws, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, and, yeah, and Over the Top. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I, and I kind of want to jump in here because I want to start with the writing aspect uh, but then kind of go back into your career. But you're, when it comes to the skill set magazine articles you write, a lot of the stuff is geared towards – uh, parts of history that are dirty, dangerous, uh, that a lot of people don't understand the, the hardships people went through, whether it's the tunnel rats um, and people like Bass Reeves, these characters that kind of get overlooked in the echelon of history. And so that type of writing for you, is it is it a therapeutic for you to talk about and understand and learn and kind of just do a deep dive on these individuals and different uh, things and is it how important is it for us as people to learn and understand the lives some of these men went through? Yeah, so when when I mean basically for the I don't know maybe the last fifteen years twenty years I've just constantly been a reader and I would find myself talking to people and saying oh have you read this book or that book and sounding like a really you know like a big nerd but I realized that people were like, wow, I've never, I've never heard of the Churchill club, you know? And I'm like, Oh, Churchill club are these, you know, Danish teenagers, uh, who, when, when the Nazis began occupying, uh, that region, they fought back, you know, and they were basically like Wolverines of world war II. But when I started to talk to people about it and they don't know that history, then I would see like, Oh, okay. They're, they're really interested in it. So I just always kind of had it in the back of my mind about how great this, like obscure amount of history is and how if people knew it, maybe they would even be like, well, one, you don't want to repeat it, you know, like repeat the mistakes of history, but you can also get motivated. Right. By it, right. I mean, you can look at it and go, hold on. Right. You know, you're talking about teenagers who were setting uh, fire bombs in, in Nazi headquarters and stuff and were breaking out of prison when they were arrested at like the age of 15 and they would escape prison at night and sabotage like artillery pieces and sneak back into prison. I mean, cra it's crazy stuff that, uh, skill set was when they came along 
they uh, offered me that chance, like, hey, write about the historical stuff, you know. We, we call it, like, historical badasses, you know, like the people who just went above and beyond. And so when you're reading a magazine like Skillset, you may read an article about, like, the first uh, female Thunderbird pilot, you know what I mean? Or or reading about, you know, uh, uh, Lucha Libre, like like wrestling and stuff. And then the next article could be uh, Frank Hamer, who, you know, tracked down Bonnie yes. and Clyde. So it's just – it, 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 it's such a variety that when I started pitching a lot of these ideas, I mean, I would literally send uh, three or four pages of ideas, you know? And so they were like, yeah, uh, we like those, but let's, let's go with this one or that one. So I think one issue I have maybe four articles in and the rest of my user do like one, maybe two articles. So uh, yeah, it's like the one that's out right now, it should just be hitting shelves. Maybe within within this week, most people should see it on the shelves or get it in the mail um, through a subscription. But it's actually I do an article about uh, a unit in World War II that that destroyed the um, Nazi program when they were trying to build the atomic bomb. They needed heavy water to do that. So these these uh, badasses parachuted in, survived the the winter, and then uh, snuck into the facility, blew up the room they needed to, and snuck out. They didn't destroy the whole facility. Cause they didn't want to, they didn't want to kill the local citizens, you know, anyway, stuff right. like that, that I just, I nerd out on, but I think a lot of people like it. And it's the, the thing I love about skill set uh, magazine is that unlike other magazines that are in that genre, like uh, just magazines based, based on the nomenclature of a gun or <laughs> right. some of the stuff that's so tactical, it's only geared towards that percent of people or the very small percent of people that are that, into guns not knocking those people but those magazines for someone like me that's handled a lot of firearms in the security world i'm not interested in that a magazine a skill set i want to learn about the tunnel rats i want to learn about bath threes but i also want to have very fun tongue-in-cheek articles with people that are actively in this field whether it's gang related law enforcement military but they bring a sense of self-awareness where it's relatable to everyday people whether I remember uh, there's an article, maybe it was with Marcus Torgerson was on the cover, but it was about home safety, what you could do on a low budget to protect your house. This is the start yeah. of the pandemic. And that's kind of how I got into yeah. skill set because I wanted to start reading stuff that was interesting and relatable to common people. And I, again, the skill set and everyone over there, it's just to be part of that's got to be pretty cool for you. Yeah. It, so for me, when I started it, I was basically the year I started it, I was doing some pretty. Uh, I guess we'll just say stressful stuff at work and, and yes. working very high profile stuff with a gang and a, and, a, and a unit. So it was great to be able to decompress and do that. And, and the creative side come out that I've used the creative side in law enforcement for years to solve a lot of the gang problems, but to be able to do it and read and, and be around people like Marcus and Jason and Ben, you know, the, the editors at skill set at the time and, to see them start this magazine, almost like back when we were kids and people had fanzines, you know, they were going to yes. shows like, like going to punk rock shows. Cause like, like Jason, uh, one of the creators, he was a skate skateboard punk rock kid in the eighties. So we kind of clicked like that. And Ben's got the whole uh, metal background, you know? So they, it was like, they were creating their own fanzine, but on a very high level of just high production, great photography, um, like anybody that reads the magazine, they're always blown away. Like, damn, I didn't know magazines. They were still making them like that. Like you said, it was, things got so cookie cutter and I, I'm not knocking the other magazines. I love 
to shoot weapons. You give me a pistol. I'll go out there on the range and shoot all day, mag change, yeah. you know, throw it in the dirt. I'll do, do one arm drills, you know, all that. I love all that, but I can do that with any pistol. I don't, I don't necessarily want to read an article about the latest Glock or whatever. It's just kind of like, that's a tool. I'm more interested in how it applies. So like when they've done articles yeah. you know, on places like Thunder Ranch or something where you can go and get just this like high level training from really great instructors and then be like, man, I want to go, I want to go do that training, you know? And then, like you said, flip the page and, and read, you know, whatever, five ways to, to do whatever, you know, it's like, like funny articles in there or don't, go, don't yes. Google that or, you know, so stuff like that, that it's just a good variety and, uh, and their digital content on the website, you know, I'm, I'm more of a, a print kind of guy. Like I've got, I'm sitting in a room yes. right now with four, I need to feel it. Yeah. yeah, I've got, I've got four, you know, ceiling to wall uh, or, uh, you know, bookshelves full of books. I like the hard copy to feel. However, I'm always going to their website too, because people will ask me, Hey, I want to read, you know, your article on whatever, you know, pick topic like, uh, you know, like I said, Bass Reeves earlier. So that, that issue yep. is one of the early ones. It's, it's out of print, but you can read it on their website. So you can go to their website and just scroll through man, pages and like 20, I think it's like 10 or 15 pages of art, all kinds of articles that they've digitized from, the magazine and i've even written some articles just for the website that were never in the magazine so it's just cool man they've, they've got a really cool thing going it's, you know and like you said so, I, uh, so, you know, when you when you mentioned marcus so i had a chance to go out to shot show in las vegas in 2020 like right in january right before COVID and the first wave of lockdowns and that's when i met marcus in person and so that was like the running joke was like we were getting lost at SHOT Show. We had no clue what we were doing or where we were going, you know. And, and I don't think we even talked about guns at all. It was like life and philosophy. And like one night we sat around at like this um, cigar bar and he's, he's banging like Red Bulls and I'm drinking water because neither, neither one of us drink, you know. And we're just having a good time with like Ben and, and Jason and, and uh, other people. Man, we just we had a really, really good time. And for me, that is a decompressor. Like to be able to fly out there, do that, leave the gang world aside, leave all the homicide, the death, the negativity, get out there, meet meet people like Rick Takahashi, who's a professional surfer. He's oh, yeah. plugged in with skill set. You know, it's like meeting these people and going, this is what life's about. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm working hard, but I, this is my reward. I get to right, do right. It, talk to people. Yeah. One of the... Uh, so what, like last year during the pandemic, I was on tour with, uh, I believe this was Smith and Byers, the offshoot of Shinedown. And we had a day off in Arkansas and they were, they're still in the process of doing the, uh, the U.S. Marshall Museum on the river there in Arkansas. Oh, okay. And so a bunch of us reached, I reached out and said, Hey, I'd love to do a tour. Like, can we just, I know it's not open yet. We went in there. They took us into the private vault and we got to look at and touch Bass Reeves' actual rifles and guns oh, and all that yeah. stuff. And, and so I was familiar with a person like that just because I love like – I, I always had this fascination with, yes, John Wayne movies and Robert Mitchum and, like, all that stagecoach and Real Lobo and Sons of Katie Elder. But the real cowboys, specifically someone like Bass Reeves, who, if you're not familiar, is an African-American, mm -hmm. uh, to do what he did – and to hold his guns a part of history, it's like what he changed and how he changed perception of it, it just it was kind of surreal actually touching something like that. And then to read articles about it, it, mm -hmm. it just 
is there's something very surreal to that part of history that not a lot of people understand, but I think once it gets out the, whether it's articles from Skillset or just movie productions or shows, they're done really well on these certain characters. It's mm -hmm. going to be amazing. Once people open their eyes and be like, man, these are real life heroes. Yeah. So Isaiah Washington made, um, yes. it, you know, made a Bass Reeves movie. And so he's on the cover of one of the issues that I did a Buffalo Soldiers article on. They did a really cool dynamic um, cover with him, you know, dressed as a uh, cavalry soldier. Yep. But when you talk about history, like there's a the you know, some of the source material from from Bass Reeves that's really well written. You know, I learned that a third of U.S. Marshals at that time were actually African American. So it's a huge portion yep. of of the deputy marshals that were out there were African American, and it wasn't until just around the turn of the century that a lot of that changed, unfortunately. You know, and, and, and so you saw people like Bass Reeves who retired and then got hired on with some of the cities and started doing some city police work, you know. Um, and then, of course, you got population, population shifts and stuff like that. But, man, to go back and, like, read what they did and, like, the Buffalo Soldiers and how they would just ride for, you know, hundreds of miles on oh, horseback, shit. dude, in the freezing <laughs> cold, you know, tr tracking down people. Like, and at one point, uh, the Buffalo soldiers were helping um, track down Billy the Kid. I mean, just crazy stuff, man. And then they go on to to, to fight at San Juan Hill and stuff. But, um, yeah, so when you're talking about museums and be able to go in there and, and see stuff and understand, you know, that there's this cycle that, unfortunately, in America, we don't seem to always break or we, all, we don't seem to understand, like, um, a lot of people are kind of caught in this vibe right now that there's so much – strife and and just infighting between citizens when you want to say look this is what this country overcame all the all the right. wrong stuff that the country was doing is somewhat corrected now like now is the time where we're supposed to show respect to everyone in the past from civil rights marches to you know law enforcement officers who were were protecting you know um citizens who couldn't protect themselves like all that stuff to the to the military units people, you know, who were doing dangerous things in World War One and Two, And, like, now's the time where we're supposed to live a good life, treat one another right and respectfully and be like, thank you for having that courage so that we can live peacefully with one another. And, and you know, right. that's not to get too philosophical, but it's that thing that I see day in and day out. Like, if two people could just communicate a little bit better, maybe they wouldn't come to blows in the middle of the street. Or it wouldn't come to gunplay, you know, and shooting each other. Uh, I don't know. I just I think with the perspective of history, that's how it can be applied for people to fully understand, you know, what especially what's going on in Russia and Ukraine now, where it's whether it's ego and whatever it is. But you you mentioned if you you could easily very easily repeat history within one bomb or one yeah. one thing. It's it's the the idea of people coming together and just talking. I think it's so vital, and we've kind of lost sight of that. I mean, obviously, two countries going to war is a bigger scale than say you and I having a disagreement and then talking two years later, being hey, let's figure this out. But yeah. it, it is the idea of history repeating itself. When you can go book, go to any library or bookstore and just read about. Everything's happening now or has happened has already happened before and happening before that. Yeah. It's like, yeah. where, where are we as humans step up to the plate and be like, you know what, let's end this and do something good for a change. Yeah, uh, that's what I'm saying. Like, well, how crazy would it be 
that when people say, hey, we're, we're basically going to stand up and say, no, we're not, we're not going to do this. You, you may be in power and you may think that's what's going to happen, but just because you're in power doesn't mean we're going to do what you tell us. So you, you think about like in the 80s where, you know, it was like the height of the Cold War and it was Reagan and Gorbachev. And I remember as a kid, like watching Red Dawn and just thinking like, oh my gosh, oh, the, the Soviets are going to invade. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it kind of comes to a head where these two leaders begin to talk, you know, so I would see the news at a very young age and say, oh, wow, they're not enemies. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's almost like propaganda where you think, oh, it's us versus them. And then all of a sudden you realize these two leaders are talking. And really that's all it takes is two, two people to sit down and talk and realize this is dumb. You know, like if, if this war kicks off or any war, really human beings are dying. And, and at the end of the day, what is, what is worth a human life? You know what? I don't, that's it. That, yeah. We're, we're entering this era now where, like you just said, we're old enough and we know enough about history to know this is very familiar. And I don't, I don't like that. You know, like this is, this is, this is getting where we need to, I say, we, I'm talking about as humanity, we need to realize we're doing the same mistakes over and over and over. When, with your background, obviously in the, the current climate with law enforcement and, I mean, we don't really have to talk about the defund bit. Every issue that's happened the last couple of years, it seems magnified with law enforcement. But with everything going on in your life and with the gang-related stuff, when the pandemic hit, did you notice an uptick in what you're dealing with? Or was it – because for me, I look at it, I assumed, maybe I'm, I could be wrong, that when the – pandemic hits and there's these laws and curfews and all this stuff and you have to do this and do that the good guys are the ones that kind of suffer here right the law-abiding citizens the bad guys already don't care about closed borders or gun laws and stuff is this something you notice is an uptick or a trend in terms of your line of work yeah so when it first hit and the lockdowns went into effect and everybody was i say i'm speaking generally like everybody's kind of panicked like what are we dealing with even the gang world, everything went on hold, you know, like even and, oh, and when I'm talking about, yeah, when I'm talking about gang members, like we still work sources, we still have a lot of information, like day-to-day information. So when, when gang members are like, Oh, you know, talking to one another and be like, yeah, I'm not going to go out, you know, and hang out. I'm not trying to get COVID. But then as everything started shifting, you know, months later and, and people start getting more relaxed, the sad thing is, with with the whole defund it was like the perfect storm defund the police yes. so the pendulum sw- was swinging towards less or or less proactive policing so less units going out there finding a gang member with a gun and actually get in, in intercepting that person so a lot of that we went from and when i say we law enforcement went from being really good at that and really moving forward um, and using techniques and strategies to stop violence a lot of times before it happens to all of a sudden now nothing. And a lot of agencies were reporting traffic stops were down like 70%. Voluntary encounters were down. So you had officers who would normally, you know, observe people every day hanging out at a corner store and they would go, yep, I see the indicators. He's tapping his waist. He's blading his body. You know, he's probably got a gun on him. And I already know that guy because I see him out here every day. He's a convicted felon, you know, he's a, uh, whatever, five deuce Hoover Crip. So he's a gang member with a gun, shouldn't have the gun and he's out in public with it. So he's probably going to be committing some kind of crime. I'm going to encounter him. You know what I mean? Like that, like officers were 
working like that. That was their goal was to stop things like that as opposed to worrying about being a news story or something. So when defund the police it, movement kind of hit and the pendulum started swinging to less proactive policing, you started to see more brazen activities where, where gang members, instead of firing one or two shots or three or four, they're doing mag dumps of like 30 rounds. And you're taking witness statements where they're like, yeah, the guy was standing in the middle of the street at like two o'clock in the afternoon, emptying a drum, you know, on, on a rifle or whatever. Like, you know, you, you've got 30 shell casings out in the street where three or four or five years before that, you wouldn't have seen that, that, that type of behavior. So brazen, like just out in the middle of the street, like it's the wild, wild west. When gang members don't get encountered actively by police officers, then they start to do whatever they want to do. Because there's not that constant reminder of, oh, I could get caught. Or, oh, my last encounter, that, that, that officer told me he knew my whole chain of command. He knew my rank. He knew how long I'd been in the gang. <clears throat> he knew who my grandmother was. He, you know what I mean? Like, then they go, oh, wow, uh, I don't need to be hanging out here with a gun. Because if he knows all that, he knows my dirt. You know what I mean? It, it just, and right. it doesn't take long. A younger generation joins, and you've got guys that are like 16 right now who basically got brought into the gang during COVID. You know what I mean? So they, the only era of policing they know is like hands off. So we got right. some young, like wild guns out there that even higher ranking gang members are upset about like, I can't control this reckless dude, man. He's, he's out here, you know, robbing people, carrying a gun, yelling our set when he's shooting people, which now puts heat on us. You know, that's the era we're in now. So if you're studying statistics and people go, oh, wow, why did crime, why, did, why is all this violent crime spiking the way it is? That's exactly why. Cause you, cause the, the current trend is to cut back on proactive encounters cut back on gang units or drug units and just kind of hold your ground and hope that you don't make a news story. And it's sad because the number one people that, that are victims and are suffering from this are the same neighborhoods that have had gangs for the last yep. 20, 30, 40 years and nothing has changed for them. Only it's gotten 10 times more violent for them. In terms of the, how in tune are these gangs when it comes to what's currently going on in the world? Like whether it's something as simple as the rising stock, their gas prices, uh, in, like shortages of certain materials they need. How in tune are they and adaptive to what's going on in the world as stuff changes on the, on the, on the continuously? It's always changing, right? Yeah. And so are these gangs that I assume the top level gangs that operate in a global level or even a city or county, whatever, whatever they do, those are very attuned to what's going on, whether they can keep doing what they're doing to, if they want to lose money or break even, like how attuned are they to the ever-changing lifestyles around them that's happening in the world? Yeah. So, and when, when I'm saying gangs, I'm talking like bloods, crips, from you know God. LA based, but have spread throughout the U.S. Uh, Latin Kings, gangster disciples, vice lords, you know, out of Chicago, spread that type of of gang. However, even in that world, Bloods and Crips are a little different, like like the culture of them, than say gangster disciples. Uh, an officer can meet a gangster disciple, and that person could be, "How are you doing, officer? You know, nice day." Like like they they carry themselves 
and they're conditioned to be more of like a businessman, like, hey, show respect, make make the organization, you know, a lot of times they won't say gang, they'll say, you know, make the organization look better, you know, and, and some of yes. them actually are trying to do the right thing. Uh, they just like to dabble in the, in the drug world. Another gang, like, uh, say, Gangster Killer Bloods or something, or G-Shine Bloods, they may like indoctrinate or, or, or condition their members straight violence, like no matter what, like the second someone says something pop off, you know, if you got to cut them, cut them in the face, if you're going to shoot them, dump 10 rounds in them so that everybody knows we're not the gang to mess with, you know? So even within the gang world, it's very, once you start to work informants, you start to understand what are their goals? You know, some gangs don't necessarily have a goal. Like you're saying, like they, they have no clue what's going on in the world they see their, their plot of land in the city and how can they hang on to it? And if their leadership, right. if, if the leader at that time for that set is a violent individual or maybe has like antisocial personality disorder where they're just, they're, they're incapable of feeling, you know, guilt or anything like that, they may push that cycle of violence. Their rival gang could have a leader who is very charismatic, who is very business oriented and who is like, listen, we're going to hold this area or, you know, we're going to, we're going to whatever recruit, we're going to expand, but we're also going to have some goals, you know, to where we're all going to pull our money every month and we're going to put it in a lockbox and we're going to have this money. And if you get arrested, I can, I can put money on your books in jail or I can help put, you know, buy some formula for your kids or whatever. It's almost like a more of a family ordinance. So, so even within the gangs, it starts to get very, like you got to look at almost like, like a sociologist looks at subcultures and goes, okay, Hey, what's the difference between this gang and this gang? And then on top of that, who's the most violent gang and, and that sort of thing. Then you, then you have, and you have someone like, like Latin Kings who have mastered public affairs. So you, you know, people can go on, people are listening, can just Google Latin Kings, you know, uh, election, or Latin Kings. Which is crazy. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, and they started expanding through, well, you know, Latin Kings go all the way back to 1957 to Chicago, but as they expand and get older and throughout the 70s have a huge population boom where you have, like, uh, Kingism, which is, like, their manifesto and everything. It's just, like, it's got this whole aura about it. It expands and hits New York City and takes off in the 90s, and there's a lot of bloodshed because of very certain members who were violent. But they also rebranded and had members running for office. So you can even look at, like, when you Google it, you'll see people, you'll see articles and go, wow, like, there are people who run for office as a Latin King member. They will wear a shirt that says Almighty Latin King and Queen. <laughs> you know, and they'll say, like, I'm an Inca and a Latin King and, like, the Corona tribe or whatever tribe, you know, like, whatever set. So it, it's crazy because they've realized, because it's you know chicago in origin going all the way back to the days of al capone and the mobsters and this whole idea of we're going to be an organization that you will never want to cross however we want to win the hearts and minds of the people and if if they can get you know political leaders if they can get people in office they can change policies so if a gang member is on say city council he or she can sway local decisions made such as a police officer yeah. can no longer whatever, you know, and limit um, proactive police work or traffic stops. You, you know what I mean? Like, so 
it's not a conspiracy theory. It is out there. It's there. There is proof that gang members have run for elections. So I think the idea for the public is just educate yourself, watch documentaries, read books, question everything. You know, I've, I've actually talked to a very intelligent person who explained to me what the Latin Kings were. And I had to explain, well, there is a facet of that. You know, you are seeing that on the surface. However, this is what's going on behind closed doors. You know, these are the federal investigations. Right. These are the murders. These are dismembering bodies. Like, like there's a lot of bad stuff going on. You know, so if, if an organization truly cares about the people, stop the violence, stop being a gang, don't push drugs, don't, you know, don't shoot your rivals. It, like, just <laughs> focus on that stuff. I, you know, it, it's a strange era where we're in right now where gangs are completely mainstream. Look at the Super Bowl. I, I didn't watch the Super Bowl, but but at a Super Bowl right. event, everybody's sending me clips like, check this out, like Snoop Dogg's in, in full, you know, crip color, and you got people out there, I think it's supposed to be Seawalk, and I, can, I haven't watched the whole video. I don't know if it's a legit right. Seawalk, but but it's kind of like you're seeing this this glorification of, of, you know, cripology or like, it's, it's okay to be a crip. And, and, and a lot of guys in prison would tell you that's a really bad choice to make, you know? Now I know you can't say where you work out of and stuff, but in terms of, you mentioned, I mean, there's hundreds of gangs, right? In the world, thousands. In terms of a given city, say pick, take a city like Chicago or Boston, New York, a prolific city, how many gangs, are working through that city or is it one of those things where like each borough or each section has their own gang and they kind of just respect each other like i picture someplace like la or chicago just non-stop all sorts of gangs always come yeah. through there yeah so and and the interesting thing is is like when i'm teaching my courses part of it is the history of gangs so that people can understand it starts out as like you know like latin kings start out with like 13 guys in chicago banding together in 1957 or whatever and now it's this nation and now transnational. Same thing in L.A. So if you, if you were to study gangs in L.A., which would be a really good city to study, it is yep. absolutely mind-blowing how many gangs, how many of them are still very much blocked off. You know, like Grape Street is Grape Street Crips, you know, like they're on Grape Street in the Watts area, you know, Jordan Down projects or whatever. So it's you could see that as like the, the origin, you know, the, the birthplace, but how, what a stronghold they have there. And then it's just like studying countries, you know, does another gang start to encroach upon Grape Street's area, you know? So for the South, and I say the South because I'm not going to speak specifically, but you can basically take everything from Virginia down to Florida, all the way out to say Texas, right? Look at all those Southern states. And there's just this mass influx of people moving here. And when they move here, they bring that gang knowledge with them. So you can have people moving into Atlanta or, 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 you know, Charlotte or any of these like big cities down in the South. And I use those cities because if you were to Google them, you would see documentaries based on very high profile cases out of those cities. Now those cities can have any city in the South, can have anything from the Chicago-based gangs. So you can have Maniac Latin Disciples, you have Black Disciples, you can have Gangster Disciples, you can have Latin Kings, Vice Lords, Four Corner Hustlers, you know, Spanish Cobras. You can have, I mean, Chicago's got hundreds and hundreds of gangs. 
Same thing with L.A. So you've got multiple blood sets, multiple crypt right. sets. Everybody's moving here. So either, so either a gang member moves to the south and now can start their own set there and recruit people and build their own little pyramid scheme, basically, or local people who grew up in that city go to, say, federal prison, right? So maybe like a 21-year-old gets in the drug world. His city's not really gang-related, but he goes and does seven years or six years in prison, federal prison. He may join the gang that's dominant in that federal prison, turn around and come right back to his city and be like, yeah, basically, I've been five years. I got recruited in. I'm, you know, treetop pyro now, and we're going we're gonna to make this thing pop. You know, like, like all these guys I used to sell with, all y'all are going to be under me, and now we're going to be treetop pyro. And it's almost like it just kind of follows or spider webs right. out throughout the U.S. And then it spreads also in schools. You know, so you, you can have in the South, you can have a high school that has almost every gang represented in the high school because kids are often getting bust from one neighborhood to another. So the schools will be, you know, more, more diverse. So you can have kids from all over the city representing each gang in that school. And so if the school doesn't really address that problem and they allow the troublemakers to stay in the school, they just recruit you know, and they can bring in five, 10, 15 kids. And now all of a sudden this school is like a hotbed for gang activity where five right. years before that, they may not have had any problems. I always wonder, and it's kind of funny because every, some of my favorite movies for the eighties, nineties, like Mark for death with Seagal, he takes out the Jamaican posse or uh, yeah. Stallone and Cobra, the street gang. I mean, there's, Every movie right. from that genre seems like there's a gang, right? Whether yeah. it's in prison or the street. And I've always wondered if gangs, and we can maybe even go into trading day, the street level gangs there, where it seems more grounded in truth and uh, at least realistic in terms of the structure. If gangs are so in tune to, again, that idea that they're being portrayed on television shows like SVU or high profile movies where they are never shown as good people. And obviously for reasons we get, but yeah. I, I'm always just curious. It's like, do they ever look at that and go, man, we should probably change the way we're perceived. Cause you kind of alluded <laughs> to the idea of the ones that maybe dress better or start putting people in office or trying to look like professional uh, gang people. Yeah. Do they look at that? These are kind of like, man, we look like we look like fools. We look so, like idiots. Yeah. So a, a a really good example is like um the Gangland documentary series that History Channel put yes, out. Yes, advice. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So so I since it's like I, I uh when I'm working I I can talk to all types of gang members, you know, and can ask the same questions you are. Like it's funny because when you're working informants, or you're working sources, you don't always just talk about work you know you don't talk about just gang stuff or crimes you end up talking about jobs about family you know as some gang members work you know for a year or two they may start to, to you know open up and tell you about oh my kids got this problem or that they're stressed out so I've, I've asked them about like gangland before and been like what do you think of that and they're always impressed that on gangland is showing how violent the gang is you know and how just you know this guy's like shadowy figure and they're interviewing some gang member and he's like telling you how he's going to cut your head off and stuff and so a yeah. lot of gang members were really impressed with that 
I've never really heard any say like, man, I really hated how we were portrayed in whatever, you know, um, probably if truth be told, because most gang members want people to uh, fear them or to just be like, look, don't test me kind of thing. You know, like I can't, and it, and it is true. Like, you, you know, gang members can't show a soft side usually until they've really established right. that I'm, I'm not the one you want to mess with. I'll blow smoke, but, but I can also hand out a Christmas present, you know? And so gang members have done right. that before. But the interesting thing is, like you said, if, if I were writing a movie and I were, and I were wanting to, or I was wanting to explain to the audience what it's really like, you would actually see gang members who are crying, who are stressed out, right? you know, who, who maybe have five different girlfriends with, up to 10 kids, you know, by five different women and they're 23 years old. You know what I mean? Like completely. Well, it's like they, they have to pay bills too. And it's like, they're paying the same water bill you are, but the means of them paying it is obviously through illegal so, beads. It's just, yeah, it's tough for me to wrap my head around that. Like it's what they, they see what they're doing is the right way where on your end of it, you're trying to stop that because you are the right way. It's like that when you guys meet in the middle, it's, just, it's super fascinating. Yeah. So, it, well, the nice thing is to have conversations. Like I've, I've been doing this long enough to where when I was a beat officer, like a brand new rookie, I, I had gangs on my beat. So I've watched guys go from like 15 years old to 25 years old. Wow. You know, so, so talking to them at 15 and because I've got almost like a photographic memory, oftentimes with names and faces and things, I can say, hey, you know, check this. In, in five years, you and I are going to run across each other, but I'm probably going to be in a suit and I might be a homicide detective. And, you know, you done moved up to say like the three star and you're holding rank and stuff. But now all of a sudden you're tied into a murder. We're going to be sitting at a table and you're going to want me to believe what you have to say because somebody's going to get you jammed up in something that maybe you're not involved in. Maybe, you know, maybe your prints are on a gun or maybe you're in a car earlier and then someone does a shooting. So that's happened multiple times, but, but it's, it's that idea of being able to sit down with another human being and talk about life and say things like I, I have asked guys before, like, why don't you just go and get a job, check out from all the gang stuff, man. And just like you said, pay your bills. Now, the drawback is a lot of gang members will live a nomadic lifestyle where they will have four or five girlfriends and they can just plop down at any girl's house for a week or two and not have to pay the power bill, not have to pay the water bill, and then up and go hang out with another girl. And their car maybe is paid in cash, you know, so they're not, they're not making a car payment. They, they may not even have insurance on the car because why do they care? You know what I mean? So it's when they don't have that stress, what ends up happening is the stress of interpersonal relationships of a girl, you know, stabbing him in the, in the thigh with a steak knife. And now right. he's got to go to old girl's house down the street with an, an injury. And she knows, you know, yeah, you went and saw so-and-so and, and she stabbed you, you know? So right. talking to guys and, and, and like one of the things I teach and I won't go into detail, but, but I teach templates like psychological templates. So when an a, a officer, or agent, or deputy encounters a gang member, they kind of understand every person is a little different and every gang member is a little different. But this gang member they're encountering may only be in the gang basically for the, the feeling of security. You know, like, hey, I got good connection here. I can make money. 
I got a little security. You know, these guys are going to go to bat for me. So that person's, you know, that, that you can talk to them. Then you run across a, a dude who, like I kind of mentioned earlier, who a psychologist would say, yeah, this person's like antisocial personality. Like they, they thrive on violence or they, they really, you're not going to be able to ration or rationalize you know, their actions and be like, Oh, don't you feel bad about that? Cause they're going to be like, no, nah, right. like I like this, you know, they're few and far between. I mean, they're not, most gang members are not just robots walking around wanting to kill people. It's, it's like anything, you know, people get drawn into the organization and they join it for one reason, and then quickly they realize, damn, this is basically the world's most violent pyramid scheme. I'm now being asked to do very violent things against some of the same guys I grew up with or in the same neighborhood I grew up with, and why am I doing this? You know, So those are the things that like, I talk to a gang, gang members and say, why are you doing what you're doing? You know, This is your life. This is, not, this is no one else's life. This is your life, and you're living it. So do, you have right. to ask yourself, how many years do you want to do in prison for the game? And a lot of times guys are like, man, I'm not trying to lay down it for one day or one night, but within, then why are you doing what you're doing? You know, the things that you are doing, you already know we're so good at what we do. We're going to catch you eventually. And you're going to have to lay down. You're going to have to do the maximum amount of time because there's no way to get around it. You know? So that's where like a lot of times people will ask, why is it so important to know all this gang information? You know, because they get overwhelmed. It's like, if you know it, the ins and outs of that gang in your jurisdiction, when you talk to a gang member and you're trying to, to actually save them from a destructive life, they're not going to listen to you if you don't know the details of that organization. But if you can explain every facet of it, down to sometimes even, hey, at that last meeting, this happened, or... I know you didn't have enough money at your last meeting because you didn't have enough dues. You know, you were $5 short. They'll stop and be like, how is it you know all this? Like, because <laughs> everybody else is talking, you know, everybody else wants out. Nobody wants to stay in a losing on a losing team, you know, at a, it's right. a matter of time, you know, before it catches up with you. And so it may take two or three years or four years of that talk. And then sometimes gang members are like, yeah, bro, I remember when we talked about that and you were right. Like, I can tell guys, like, the, the rank you're at now, this phase is going to happen next. Then, then the second phase is this, you know, and the third phase is basically you're going to be ordered to do a hit, and they're gonna, you're going to have a gun, and if you don't do that hit, there's going to be some ramifications that you don't want. Why wait until that happens? When this, first, when this next thing happens, get out now. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, like yeah. find it and, and – I'm not going to talk about the exit strategies that, that we have shared, but there are ways to get out. And in some gangs, you can actually leave voluntarily. You know, there's that old blood in, blood out thing that uh, a lot of people, you know, are like, oh my gosh, once you join a gang, it's forever. And some gangs are that way. I'm not, I'm not saying all gangs are that way. But some of the current trend within the last two or three years, four years, is a gang allowing a disgruntled employee, basically, to leave the gang. And they, and they call it like a lot of times, like with Bloods and Crips and stuff, they'll call it laying down your flag. So your bandana is like your flag, you know, like your color. So it would be like, all right, so-and-so is going to lay their flag down. So the whole hierarchy knows that person is basically like retiring. You know, he's leaving right. the set, he's leaving the gang. He doesn't hate us. we got no beef with him. He's got stuff going on in his own life. We're going to let him go, you know, because I've actually listened to 
ranking gang members argue about this type of theory years ago when, when they didn't want to do that because each member means money. So if you're charging dues, if the gang's charging dues and you lose membership, higher-ranking members are losing their cut of the money, right? So they want wow. to grow the gang fast so they can get all this money for their weekly dues or their monthly dues. So some of the some of the when I say smarter gangs, I mean like some of the ones who can adapt faster and will survive or outpace law enforcement are the ones who who are really good at psychology or human behavior and realize that guy is not happy with the set, let him go. Because if we keep him, he's going to cause problems within the, in the organization. He's going to get everybody all pissed off, right? Or cause drama, and then we got to answer for it. Let's let him walk on down the street, right? You know? Right. You are you're very in tune with pop culture, whether it's talking about Point Break, Rambo 2, whatever it is, but <laughs> also the – the dichotomy of your the, the punk music upbringing and the music stuff. So in terms of like movies and music, was this something growing up that just became part of your life? Because for me, when I was doing that type of stuff, even when I'm in a stressful situation or need to kind of get away from it, I'll listen to music or watch my favorite movie and just recite the lines. And so for you in your line of work, how important is that kind of escape? whether through some various forms of entertainment to kind of clear your head before you move on to the next thing. Yeah. It's so, man, I got into punk uh, when I was like 10 years old and I grew, I, I hung Crazy. out with my older brother, you know, or older friends. And I started going to shows when I was 13, you know, first stage dive, I was 13. So it was like, you know, I was hooked at a very young age, but I had these older guys that would protect me and, and, and would drive me to the shows and stuff. So but for me, it was, it was being part of something. I, I, we were already kind of outcasts because of the divorced families, and we all kind of right. lived in the same area, and um, there was just drama going on, you know. So that for me, it was like, okay, this is kind of like my core group of, of people, and everybody looked after one another. Now, we fought each other, but we also, you know, got, unfortunately, got into a lot, a lot of fights at that time. But it was, it was like my, that, that was something that just kind of resonated with me. It was music that was singing about, for me, a lot of it was like not doing drugs or not getting drunk or becoming the stereotype of a punk, you know? So you had like the sex pistols when people would say punk back then, it was like, Oh, Sid Vicious with a bloody nose, and yes. you know, shooting heroin. Yeah. Iggy well, Pop. Yeah. 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 So that was like that. That was when punk first started, but for me, it was mid eighties. And so that was that that era of dead Kennedys, uh, circle jerks from for me, minor threat and a lot of the East Coast and D.C. bands that were really to me just it was like, damn, there's a message here. And it's and it's almost like a philosophy of like, OK, well, let me let me get into this. And and really what it told me was live a life that matters like like you're you're not supposed to be shooting heroin and wasting your life. You know, it's, you've got to do something more important. And so me, for me, I always started looking at that and started to see how, one, how am I going to make money in a career, you know, and, and put food on the table because that's what everybody did. You just had to go to work. Um, and then two, how can I make it where it, it matters to me? Like I'm doing something that matters. So I, can, I, I never right. sang or, or I was never in a band. I couldn't play any instruments. I did love art. I took four years in, in high school of art but I knew that I didn't want to try to make art a career. So a, 
a lot of other stuff was going on, but I eventually got into the army and then through going through the army paid for college and, and got me yep. squared away to go to college and, and do a degree in psychology and then become a cop. But, but the whole point of being the cop was to do something for me that was, that was different every day and to where I felt like I was making things different. Like a lot of people, you'll hear the stereotype of, Oh, uh, you know, the, the grizzled, you know, senior cop who tells the rookie, like, I remember when I was all young and idealistic, you know, I was going to change the world. It was like, for me, I was kind of smart enough to know I don't care about the rest of the world. I care about when I graduate the Academy, my plot of land, my beat, how am I going to make my beat better? That's all I care about. I don't even care about the rest of the city. I want to know that a kid's not going to get shot at this corner store or this section eight housing, you know, like, I just want peace. That's it. I just want it. When I come to work, I want to know that everybody's going to be cool with one another and nothing bad's going to happen. And in the meantime, if I end up writing tickets or take people to jail, that's one thing. But at the, at, that was my main goal. And so when I saw gangs on my beat, which were very new to our area, even the senior officers and the detectives didn't really know a whole lot about it. So that was when I was like, okay, this is the number one threat I got on my beat. And because of that background in punk, that, that outcast kind of uh, looking at society from the outside, it's like, okay, I can kind of understand why these kids are doing this, you know, why, why, why yeah. they fall in line with this. Like, it's, this is not a foreign concept to me, like why these 10 guys hanging out here will protect one another. You know, like they'll go, they'll go to blows with someone, and it's like, okay, we may fight 20 guys, but we're not going to let our buddies get beat up. You, you know, like that, that resonated. It made sense to me. So, um, and I was never judgy. I didn't like walk up to guys and, and, and talk down to them. Cause I never saw in uniform. Cause I, I've been out of uniform for a long time. I've done detective work and things, but in uniform, I never wanted to be the RoboCop. I never wanted to walk up to right. someone and talk down Cause I've had those encounters and they do nothing but create enemies, you know, and they actually will change a really good citizen's point of view. And then it says be like, wow, that cop Correct. was a jerk, you know, like, like why does that right. cop think they're better than me or whatever? So I think early on, that's why the, the way I talk to people, uh, guys that were early on gang members would, would answer questions that I had, you know, because I took an interest and would even say, you know, like, man, I don't, I don't want to pull up on the block and see you out here with your brains hanging out of your head, man. And your grandma screaming over you. Like that was last week with your buddy. Like, why do I want to see that happen to you now? You know? And so then and guys would be like, man, that, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want that to happen either. And we could sit there and talk about, you know, their best friend dying a week before. And here they are trying to fight back tears in public because there's an image they got to hold. And here I got to hold this image of, well, I can't be all hugging up on this guy because I'm in uniform and I'm trained to keep a distance, you know? So it was almost like this invisible barrier between us, but we're also building rapport and we're also talking like two humans and going, Hey, you're caught in this cycle. You know, I check in every day and I want to make sure you're going to survive and you're out here every day, but what choices are you making? That's going to get you closer to the grave. You know, you're standing out here feet planted every day. If your enemy comes by, they're going to, there's very easy to shoot you, you know? So those are the realities. And then you start to talk to people and you realize it's, it's all kind of the same things. We're all kind of drawn into wanting to be part of something a little more than ourselves. And for some people, it ends up being gangs. I remember growing up and to kind of stay in the punk uh, genre, 
where yeah. you grow it up, you'd be like, oh, those punk, they listen to punk music, they're in a gang. Or it was a, this misconception where if you love punk music, you are aggressive, you're a fighter. Uh, and so until I got older and you start realizing, you look at a, even the crazy stuff. I remember watching uh, the Stooges and stuff where you cut his face <laughs> off and jump in the crowd and be shirtless. Yeah. And, and then yeah. I really fell in love with punk music. Uh, I went through a divorce and I never listened to punk music before. But the song uh, Gotta Go by Agnostic Front, I just oh, found it at the time I needed it. And I just fell in love with that genre of music. But even before that, I'm like, man, I don't get it because these guys are all fighting and throwing each other off stage and punching each other. But then I get I get start making friends in the music industry and you go to these shows, you start talking like, man, they're picking each other up. They're patting each other back. They are, they are all walks of life, every genre, every sex, every whatever it is, every religion in there having a moment where for that that set or that performance, they're all feeling the best they've ever felt. And for you, like where was the moment for you where it's kind of like, as you transition into your gag work, where, because some people today are still think that people, if you like punk music or you go to these shows and throw each other around and slam dance and all this stuff, that <laughs> yeah. you are, you're a gag banger. And how yeah. do you break that mold for people that don't understand it? Yeah, it, you're, <laughs> it's interesting you say that. I've had conversations within the last year with people that I grew up with, and we kind of lost touch just because of life and all that, moving in, in different states. And they've heard me talk about gang stuff. And that was the question was like, well, when you're talking about gangs and you're, you're getting so hardcore about it, and, you know, we were in a gang, you know, or we were, and I was like, no, 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 no. Like I'm talking about gangs, gangs. like gun toting dudes that are committing crimes gang in that sense like back then was like a like a clique or just a little crew of kids that would band together and, and strengthen numbers so it is interesting when you say that because for man the first few years when i was on the department police department i didn't talk about punk rock i didn't talk about going to shows and and let anybody know and it, and it really wasn't until i started doing some plain clothes assignments where i would wear regular clothes and, and wear a goatee or whatever grow hair out that people started saying like, what is that t-shirt? You know, like, like what are gorilla biscuits, you know, or flogging Molly yeah. or whatever. It's like, like all these jokes started. Um, yep. But, but it was this idea of like, I know what the uh, impression is when someone said, like you said, when certain people now, now if you get someone who's like 20 years old or 25 and you say punk, they think green day, you know, or, yes. or no effects. Yeah. Offspring. Like yeah. Yes. Offspring. Yeah. yeah. So it's very different. So, so, but someone that's older, like you said, they revert back to Sex Pistols, the Stooges, or whatever. When you talk about Agnostic Front, New York hardcore for me was like when I was in high school. And man, I got into like Sick of It All, Agnostic Front, Bold, Youth of the Day, like Mad Ball. Oh, yeah, Mad Ball. Yeah. Uh, and that, that was just before like H2O took off. H2O is like one of the greatest bands of all time. I, uh, I tell people that all the time, but, but like when you're talking about going to shows, the shows are always energetic. Everybody's always, if someone falls down, you, you pick people up afterwards, you talk and hang out with the bands. And especially now, man, as the scene is still around and these bands have been playing for 25, 30 years, Oof. there's a current trend right now. And, and Toby Morris from H2O, the lead singer talks about how they were playing shows in New York within the last year. Like what's the kind of the COVID, broke or the, yep. the regulations broke they were playing these shows and they were selling out 
So, so, you know, they're all flying in to play the show or whatever. And they get there and they're like, man, this show sold out in like a week. And then they get there and there's only like a fourth of the crowd there. So they can't figure it out. They're like, how is it that we sold the, the show sold out so quickly, but there's only a few people here, so to speak, you know, like a fourth of them. Yeah. Well, there was some, and maybe it was part of the internet, people communicating, but the fans were buying tickets from all over. Like, so you could have a kid in Nebraska buying a ticket to the show in New York to support H2O, knowing they're never going to go to that show, but hoping that that money yep. gets in H2O's pocket. So it's just really cool that people still support the scene. I mean, hell, I went and saw Agnostic Front. I think it was 2019 before the lockdown, and they played with Slapshot, and I got to talk and hang out with Vinny Stigma like after the show. So st something like that, and there's no like cop bashing and all this stuff. It was just kind of like, hey, yep. we're all adults, man, and we're trying to to keep the peace, and, and we want to come to a show and want to hang out. And like for me, I always try to tell the bands how much it means to me and to let them know, look, I, and I can talk to them face-to-face -face and explain, hey, there's some stuff I've done in my background, police work, that has saved lives. And while I'm typing up notes from that or while I'm going to work, I'm listening to your music. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like your music still matters. It still influences me. It still drives me to, to do things that matter. And that when we go work really big cases, sometimes I run across other punk rock cops or punk rock agents. Like I've, I've met FBI agents who – on the surface, we can walk in and give a briefing to some of the highest ranking people in law enforcement. <laughs> and then all of a sudden behind closed doors, we're like, man, do you remember, yeah. you know, this band yeah. or that band? Yeah. Or like, like, you know, like remember seven seconds. Oh, they're so great. <laughs> yeah. and, and people hear us talking and they're like, what language are y'all speaking? You know, but it's that idea. Like you just said of, of something like a, a band, like agnostic front, it just, it resonates with you. And there is something about going to shows there's something about that connection and we, we lost it, you know, during the lockdowns. And as I was yep. talking to some, some bands and stuff like, like through Instagram, which makes it a great tool. And the bands are like, man, it's, it's tough. You know, it's psychologically hard. You know, they're not, they're not doing what feels good to them. And what's rewarding is seeing an audience of people from 15 to 55, you know, sharing the, the floor and, and having fun. And, it's, it's never been about money. You know, none of, none of these bands are like making millions of dollars. It's what they do because it's art and it, and it you know, it resonates with the, the fans and it's still going. I mean, I, I could talk yes. all day about it. If you get it, you understand. And I think there's something to be said too, that it's still around. Like there are still bands that are young, but they sound like it's 1988, you know what I mean? Or 1995 <laughs> or whatever. They trap that sound and they're and they're they're just influenced by it and it's it's great. And it's it. to, to kind of circle back to what we said before, is history repeating itself. I think a lot of those punk bands specifically sound newer bands sound old because the same stuff's happening in the world again. Yeah. And it's their way of saying it's their their version of angst and anger and we gotta stop this. It's, it's the whole thing is it's it's just awesome. I, yeah, I just I, love I just love it. Yeah, I, I post usually like I don't post a whole lot in my feed as opposed to my story. Like usually I'll post in my story like old flyers or I may post yes. like a like a record or something or try to support, you know, bands that are selling T-shirts. But I posted recently maybe in my story about like a week ago, a band called Smoke or Fire out of out of Virginia. 
saw former members of a band called Avail that were pretty big in the punk scene throughout the 90s. Yep. But the Smoker Fire had an album um, called Speakeasy, and there's a song on there called Integrity. And the cool thing about Instagram, you know, like you're posting the lyrics to the song so people can see it. The song is already 10 years old now. It came out 10 years ago, and it's talking about the news and how the news is pitting, you know, these groups of people together and creating a lot of the drama. And it's like, what happened to news? You know, why, wh- that's why it's called integrity, obviously. It's like, what, you right. know, and, and, I, and obviously I, I'm not a songwriter, uh, but man, the lyrics, even when that record came out, I'm like, damn, they're, they're hitting the nail on the head. And we're still dealing with that problem 10 years later. It's like you said, it's punk rock is, is, is always relevant, no matter what's sadly, no matter what's going on. Um, and I always joke that more of us as we get older, and more influential throughout the, the country, maybe we have a, a, an effect on changing things. I know like locally through training and stuff, our, our officers act a lot different than they would have 20 years ago because we are, are teaching them, hey, we've been through this before. We've been on the receiving end of unprofessional police work. This is how you do it. This is how you can actually go after gangs and be very effective, but be professional and personal like you don't have to let all that anger build up or whatever but right it's that punk rock uh philosophy that, and that's why i also try to share as much on instagram as i can because people will, will will send me a message and be like oh i remember that band you know and it's almost like you get to connect and go yeah and you tell stories about going to shows or whatever um it, it's just it's it's great the before i let you go I know some we we always talk about is the our love of eighties nineties that schlock martial arts action films. If you had, if somebody came up to you that's never if they asked you, uh, BC, give me the top five most over the top law enforcement action movies you've ever seen. What would be some of those movies? Like over the top, like as in just cheesy? Yeah, like yeah, just like cheesy. Like this is not helping anyone cause here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So one of them, we, and we actually quote it quite a bit, is um, uh, Above the Law, uh, Steven Seagal. Like, oh, Nico, the, the Nico Hall Scotty. Scene. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get yeah, him like Bobby yeah, Lupo, right? Like when he, when he yeah, gets- it would see Richie. Out yeah, for Richie, justice, yes. Yeah, out for justice. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I knew yeah. it wasn't above the law. Get the first one. Yeah, yeah. So, get so that, sticks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's the first one. Like we always joke, like man, when we were kids, we thought that's what cops did. You just, you just walk in there by yourself, throw the badge down, and just like it beat everybody yes. up. Like that's crazy. Yes, this so, is a Chicago cop right here doing this. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that one was like so so crazy. Um, and you can tell too, like when people write those movies, oh, so you know, it's like, okay, so we're going to sell this Seagal image, you know, or whatever. So, oh. um, so that's one of them. Um, God, what was it? Uh, I just made a comment. Oh, um, stone cold. I think it was, which, which oh, Brad Bosworth. The yeah. Gangs. Which actually like, yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to, it's a great movie. It. I was gonna say, I don't want to bag on it. Like that one was not actually that good. It was, I was making a reference, like what the 80s were like with the Bosworth, the haircut and all that. Oh. But, but, yeah, that one actually wasn't too bad. Um, gosh, what's another good one? Um, uh, I just – I just, I think to the point where it's like Stallone when he did that whole thing from Cobra, Nighthawks, uh, all those type of okay, roles yeah. where it's 
uh, raw deal, Arnold Schwarzenegger, where he's undercover, with yeah. the FBI taking out the mob and a construction yeah. site. It's just, yeah, it's just, so, so when you, yeah, you may, yeah, when you say that about Nighthawks and uh, Cobra, so Cobra, when I watched as a kid, I was absolutely terrified. And I was watching it like I was, like, yeah. I was like ten years old or something, twelve. I don't know. I was young, but this is a real gag. Yeah, yeah, man. I really believe like there were dudes in the city clanging these damn axes or whatever, and they were just gonna come and cut everybody up. Mainly because I was listening to bands like Iron Maiden and Dio still. So it was like, oh, well, you know, uh, there's these this devil worship and craziness. But yes, um, but Nighthawks. Could, man, do you think if Oh, Nighthawks are classic. That was that actually. If you go back and I watched it a couple months ago, and man, it's still good. Like that is very, very like realistic. Shows you kind of that that idea that man, New York is always ahead of the power curve. You know, oh, be, yeah. because that movie was made. You know, basically on the beginnings of the JTTF, sort of. You know, that whole yep. idea of, of terrorism. Because people forget how bad things were in the seventies. And 80s, especially like in Lebanon and Beirut, you know, just stuff like with Hezbollah and how it was spreading. But, but yeah, so Nighthawks, man, I love that movie. And I tell people all the time and and they forget. I don't know why. It's like they'll love Stallone, but I'm like, how do you not know Nighthawks? Like that's Billy D and Stallone, probably the greatest duo uh, in that era. But definitely better than Tango and Cash. I I will die the sword for Tango and Cash. That prison scene is. Uh, I saw his watch. No, so do you yeah. think a movie like RoboCop could be put out there today, or is it too pro law enforcement in the sense of it's showcasing cops doing any means necessary to take out the bad guys? Like I always yeah. look at movies like that. And I'm like, could you do this movie today? Or obviously, movies and music are products of the time they're in. They would get released, yeah. but with the age of Hollywood remaking stuff and always redoing whatever. Yeah, I look at movies like that. It's like that had such a satirical look at society and at the time. But could you do that where you're showcasing a hero or a protagonist, like you and Jason Piccolo talked about, <laughs> right. literally, literally going balls to the wall and getting rid of every bad guy? Like I'm, I'm always just curious about that. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it would nowadays. Um, and, and but you got to remember too, like so for when I'm thinking RoboCop. I'm thinking when I first watched it and I was a kid, you know, like a young, young kid. And so it's almost like a superhero type movie. I wasn't yeah. watching it like, oh, this is actually <laughs> like this in real life will be a cop just smoking people left and right. You know, <laughs> I think that I think because the trend for the last, you know, 15, 20 years has been movies that are more realistic. You know what I mean? Like, oh, this is how it really is or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. There's so much cop, like, hating. And um, there's just this, like, I mean, it's always been there. I'm not saying that people haven't always hated cops. But it's so mainstream now to really – to almost, like, where people are conditioned to immediately not like a cop or not like a cop movie in which the cop is trying to actually do good, you know. So, I don't know. It seems to be – yeah, and it seems to be that the the narrative for uh, entertainment now, it's easier to put out a content that's anti-cop or a, a really good character that's a dirty cop, right? As opposed to yeah. let's just create a, a, a very vanilla or just a really good cop mm-hmm. that has his issues at home with a family and maybe it start, it's like you create a character that's believable, yet you're sympathetic to what 
majority of law enforcement goes through, man or woman, as opposed to, oh yeah, this character's great, he's a dirty cop, he's killing yeah. all this. It's just like, yeah, why can't we have that good character out there too? Yeah, so uh, I've, I'm probably I'm I'm several months from finishing my first novel to submit and try to get it published. Oh, awesome! This, I've got I've got about five novels kind of outlined, and it's more like uh, I'm a nerd when it comes to literature, but like the way William Faulkner's characters are all kind of intertwined, yes, or like Tarantino's characters, you know, kind of crossover. Yes, so that's kind of how these books are. Like some of the novels are completely different stories, but one character may cross over. You know, from one book maybe set in the 60s, the other book set in 2010 or something. But that character, you get to see his criminal activity at, you know, whatever. So two of the right. books actually do deal with gangs and police work in a very real fiction type of idea. So if you were to read the book, you would take something away from it on your angle from, you know, security work and your background. You would be like, yeah, right. he's dead on the money. That's exactly how it is a street cop will read it and go, yep, that's, that's how we deal with stuff. That's the reality. You know, we're not getting in shootouts all day, like Starsky and Hutch, you know, we're not sliding across cars, you know, we're dealing with stuff day in and day out. And those books will also show how real gang work is when sources are developed and why they work and cooperate and how things, how things work to where even a gang member could read it and say, yep, like this dude knows what's up. Like, like this is legitimately how things are from their perspective. And a grandmother can read it who sadly maybe has lost her grandson to prison or to the grave. And she may say, yep, this character is exactly what I went through. And I've had those same types of conversations on jail phones, you know, where my grandson's crying to me and stuff, you know, and then the next phone call, he's given an order to hit somebody. You know what I mean? Like the gear right. switch like that. So Eventually, when I get that stuff out and published, it'll 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 be a great conversation to have with people to show them more of the hu humanity right. or more of the human side of it. Like this is how we get better as a society at this. Don't draw the line and say us versus them. It's us versus it. We're dealing with an ideology, but it'll come through hopefully in, in the novels. Um, and like That's you said, awesome. yeah. yeah. Well, this has been a blast, BC. I know you're on Instagram and stuff like that, but if people want to check you out, definitely check out Skillsub Magazine, uh, both the print and the online. Uh, check out your Instagram for some uh, movie, movie uh, stills, some uh, punk rock posters, and some really good you, – you always pose really engaging and thoughtful things where – that's the best thing for me, social media, where you can get people engaged and talking healthily, healthy yeah. about different aspects of their life. And so, again, thank you for all this. Yeah. Hey, I appreciate it. Uh, and that's the only thing I'm on is Instagram. I don't uh, I have never had social media until I started Instagram. And I think I, yeah. I think my brain is better for it. But, but I do I do yes. enjoy it. So if people have a gang question or a question about books or music or whatever, just shoot me a message. It's b.c.sanders. Awesome. Well, thank you, sir. And thank you, buddy. I enjoyed it. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. You might not know this, but before I record an episode, I like to break a sweat. And I do that using the ChopFit. Over the course of the past year, the ChopFit has allowed me to lose weight, tone up my body, and feel even more amazing about myself. A feeling that you should all feel about yourselves as well. If you use this code, SpearChop10, you get $10 off your order. 
Once again, use code SPEARCHOP10 for $10 off your chocolate order. It'll change your life. Thank you. Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's Take This Outside, a new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca.